Good morning, marketers. I guess that's going to be our, our uh, working title for the show right now. Uh, this is a new show we're putting together uh, with uh, Andrew and I. And what we're going to be doing is covering the uh, the trending topics and news that's happening for creators and digital marketers. And uh, we're going to be reacting and kind of explaining kind of what's going on in the industry for you. Um, my name is Matt Asafan. I'm the founder of Web Friendly, and uh, I've in the past uh, taught courses, hosted events for digital marketers, and um, done a lot of stuff in that in that field. Andrew, I met in 2016, and um, I think it was 2016 or 2015. And uh, actually, yeah, we actually met like that, through. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Through a sales call, uh, I think. I can't remember if I was the one that actually, uh, uh, you know, got you into the program. But Andrew joined. I, I was what I was watching a Dave DeBow training, and, and he brought on he brought on Dan oh, Locke, awesome. and Dan Locke, Dan Locke spent like a good like twenty thirty minutes bragging about this guy named Matt Astavan. And then I ended up okay. in your social uh, social media director program. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think that was that was in 2016. <laughs> so Andrew joined the program, um, and he was just a rock star throughout the whole program. Uh, he used to be a, a Coast Guard, jumping out of helicopters. Yeah, yeah, good memory. Coast Guard rescue diver with the uh, Sea Island, uh, the Coast Guard base, the busiest Coast Guard base in Canada. In yeah, Vancouver he went yeah. from there to becoming a, a, a real digital marketer, uh, so much so that he's now even a digital nomad and uh, and d d done some traveling and living all over the world. I don't even know where he is right now. Uh, but um, anyways, uh, so I guess where we'll take this right now is getting right into the first story. Um. Not even the first story, but I guess let's talk a bit about our our tech setup that we got here. Uh, so right now we are producing this show using an app called Riverside, which we recently discovered. Uh, it's pretty cool. I think Riverside is going to take over as the uh, the premier kind of a webcasting tool. Uh, right now everyone's all hot about Zoom. I never liked Zoom. I don't know if you ever really got into Zoom. I used to use GoToWebinar because GoToWebinar used to have a, a bit better broadcasting functionality over Zoom, but somehow after all the shit hit the fan in the world. Everyone went to Zoom. Um, but I really like this app. And uh, one thing we were talking about that we did a bit of research on is whether or not you should be wearing headphones when producing your podcast. So if you're watching the video right now, you can see that Andrew is wearing headphones and I am not. Andrew, how's it feel to be wearing headphones? I'm liking it. I'm I'm super digging this. I mean, I I know you and I before we hit the record button here, we uh, we were chatting in the green room about uh, the conversation Mr. Beast had with Joe on uh, the Joe Rogan uh, podcast here recently, the Joe Rogan Experience, and uh, they had a whole conversation about this at the beginning. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out because it's hilarious. And the uh, Mr. Beast's big comment was the fact that oh, he's all tripping out. I'm tripping out because I can hear myself. I don't want to hear myself, but. Uh, Joe and uh, and uh, he certainly highlighted the the advantages of using a headset. Yeah, there's the episode. Matt's just bringing it up for everybody. There, there, there's certain advantages of using headsets, and it's probably more in paramount or important when you have uh, more than two speakers. At least that's what Joe Rogan was saying. That uh, it pretty much allows you from not speaking over one another. It's almost impossible having a, uh, a, a proper conversation without headsets. But clearly, Matt and I were able to uh, work it in a, such a way that he's been able to, to leave his headset off off the show. And, and, and it looks like he's not going to be speaking over me. I don't know. We'll I almost <laughs> wanted to speak over you just now. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I just don't have the, the proper headphones for it right now because I have Bluetooth headphones. Uh, I'm going to get some uh, wired ones. Uh, you know what's funny is because of the way we're recording this, I got, uh, I'm using my phone as a camera on, uh, on Riverside and I can like slight, you can't turn the volume all the way down when you use the Riverside app on your phone. So I can like slightly hear some sound coming out of the speaker and it's really annoying me. So I think if I had those headphones right now, <laughs> it probably would be helpful. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I do think it's interesting. I was, um, you know, as I was doing research about creating a podcast or, you know, doing video, I was looking at what kind of gear people had. I did notice a lot of people using headphones, some of them not. And I also just over the last year or so, I've just noticed conversations about whether or not you need to wear headphones and, and, and how that works, right? So I think you don't have to have headphones if you're going to be doing a, a podcast, but I think that uh, you're probably going to get a, a better quality product. And I think it makes a lot more sense when you're, you have more than one person. So if you're just by yourself doing a podcast, probably not. Uh, but when you are going to be interviewing someone or you have other people on, you're probably going to get a better quality um, uh, podcast. 
And and that brings us to the next yeah. story, which is going to be about the uh, the microphone. So it was actually yeah we got oh my god we just talked over each other. Um, <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing. Andrew, it. <laughs> why don't you take this one away? Because you were you, I kind of told you about it, but then you're the one who convinced me to actually get it. So why don't you kind of share your experience with it? Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. Actually, I want to just take a quick step back at more of a high level before we jump into talking about mics. Essentially, what Matt and I are highlighting for everybody here is the fact that there's there's production quality and then content quality. And the reason why we're highlighting that for all of you is because creating content moving forward is going to just become more and more important. Because yes, a lot of people are talking about AI and automation, disrupting jobs and whatnot. But when it comes to content creation, people resonate with people at the end of the day. So you have to ask yourself, how do you rise above all the noise? How do you stand out in the crowd? Because content creation is a very crowded space, right? So if you are in the informational uh, I don't, almost don't want to say educational, but if you're in, if you're in the informational thought leadership space, then I would, it's my honest personal opinion to, uh, downgrade the, the importance of production quality because it's all about message over production. But if you're an entertainer, if you're an entertainment, then you almost need to flip the script. You need to put uh, much, much more priority on, on production quality and then, and then back that up with the message. Now, having said that, clearly, if you got the best of both worlds, because there are so many people creating content and for you to rise above the noise and really stand out in a crowded space and you spend a little bit of investment and time and energy into setting up proper equipment so that you, you can uh, 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 show up in, in a marketplace uh, in a way that your competitors are not showing up. I can't tell you how many times I've been on Zoom calls and yeah, Matt, I'm, I, I'm with you on that point, man. I'm not a big fan of, of Zoom either for a bunch of reasons, but I can't tell you how many times I showed up on a Zoom call and they noticed that they could hear me a lot clearer. They noticed they could see me a whole lot uh, better. And, and they just, when you're looking at that gallery view, because there's a bunch of people on the call, your eye naturally gets drawn to the person who has the most professional setup. This is the equivalent of showing up to a business presentation in a suit and tie or, or uh, basically uh, uh, showing up in, in a situation at your very best, right? So that you feel more confident and so that you show the, the peers in your space that you're, you're here to meet, you're, you're here to, and you're a serious player and that you mean business, right? You're, you're not goofing around here. Now, yeah, we are using the Shure MV7 mic. And yeah, Matt, you were the first to flag this mic for me. I didn't realize that Shure made a mic that was USB friendly. So that definitely, uh, you know, uh, or certainly uh, waved a big flag in my face when you pointed that out. And uh, yeah, you pointed out earlier, I'm a digital nomad. So I'm in San Jose, Costa Rica right now. And I honestly got worried as soon as Matt flagged this for me, because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get my hands on something like this. Found myself going to a camera store. They pointed me to a music shop. So no matter where you're watching this from right now, you're probably going to be able to gain access to either Amazon or a do what I did and go down to a, your local music shop. Not only was I able to get the MV7 Shure mic, but I was able to buy their very last boom right off the wall. I got the display uh, version of their their boom so that I could properly place the mic in front uh, within a reasonable amount of, uh, uh, to really you know maximize the the uh, the the quality that this mic really offers. And again, this is one of those situations where if you if you got the budget, if you have the the willingness to invest a little bit into your production. Uh, level of quality, then yeah, you're you're going to be able to stand out in a place that uh, is is very very crowded. But how are you going to show up in a way so that that you can actually uh, gain more attention in your niche in your in your section of the marketplace uh, above and beyond what your competition is already doing? That's the idea, uh, Matt. I haven't used any other high end mics other than this one, so I'm going to pitch it back your way there and see what you think of it so far. So I previously had the uh, Blue Yeti, which was, uh, you know, it's kind of a popular brand name, I guess, for microphones. Um, I, I think that audio quality is more important than video quality. So if you're watching this on YouTube right now, you could probably tell right now our video quality is probably so-so. I think that we could probably do better. But um, there's a, a saying that I love that's in the uh, startup world that is, if you're not embarrassed about the first version of your product, you launch too late. So I really want to be able to look back at this in a year from now and say, what the f***? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Andrew and I agreed that we're not swearing on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so that's going to be your first, uh, your first bleeper. We're going to say, what the hell were we doing? Um, so... Right now, I'm using like a, a, a webcam as, uh, as one of my cameras, and I'm using my iPhone as the other camera. Uh, and 
yeah, when I was doing research on, on microphones, I was looking on Amazon and, you know, just, you know, wherever and uh, looking at different reviews. But what I kept noticing was all the big podcasts that I would watch, like video podcasts, I guess I was watching, they all had the same Shure mic. So I actually Googled like what Shure mic was this person using or that person using. And that's how I came across his mic. So it wasn't as prominent when actually kind of searching on Amazon and looking at reviews, but just noticing that all the you know biggest podcasters were all using this mic. So I said, I mentioned this to Andrew. And then um, you know a couple of days later, he's like, I bought it. And so I said, okay, well, if he bought it, I have to buy it. So then I, I immediately ordered it too. And so we're both pretty happy with it. I think it's... Uh, it is. I recorded some videos. I was doing some screen recording and stuff. The sound was great. Uh, I can't wait to hear what this is going to sound like uh, when we actually produce these videos. But in terms of usability and so on, um, you know, it's been great. So uh, I hear a lot of people talking about different mics for podcasting and different investments. This one was around three, four hundred dollars or so. Um, and uh, if you're going to be doing a podcast or doing a show like this, I like as soon as. For me, as soon as I invested into the microphone, I knew, and when I saw that Andrew invested into it, I knew the show was real. So it kind of felt like, um, you know, it, it, it kind of made it like this show is going to happen, right? Because we just put in whatever, three or 400 bucks in these microphones, you know? So that was my feeling. I don't know about you, Andrew, but. No, I love it, man. I love it. I would have never known about this mic. It just goes to show you how important it is to actually network with other marketers, right? Or network with other creators. Cause I, I really didn't have the foresight to Google and do a search into this. So right on, man. I appreciate you, you flagging this for me. And this is another reason why we created, uh, the show. Good morning, Mark. Uh, Good morning marketers, because we, we want to, we certainly spend and live and breathe, uh, marketing and, uh, like Matt's been in the game a lot longer than I have, but I've been around the block a few times now. And, and there's certainly, uh, marketing is just like anything else at the end of the day. You can do it really, really right. Do it really, really wrong. And, uh, and, uh, Matt and I are going to have a lot of fun creating the show for, for, uh, more marketers and creators out there. Yeah. And just so you guys know, uh, you know, this show right now, um, is the first of possibly many shows that we want to produce at web friendly. Uh, so I've had this vision for a long time. I think I actually started thinking about this back in 2016, which is, uh, is covering news that matters to digital marketers and creators and publishers. Um, I don't see anyone doing it, um, really well. I, th- I see there there are some categories in, you know, maybe in a Forbes or an entrepreneur, that sort of thing where they talk about it, but there's no one who's really kind of uh, dominated that space. And the way that I get my news, my digital marketing news is actually through like Facebook groups and word of mouth and stuff like that. Um, and so what we want to do is be able to curate kind of what's happening in the industry and then share that with you. Um, one thing that we're against is, you know, kind of talking down about people or, you know, talking or, you know, um, you know, talking about drama, stuff like that. We want to talk about news that's really going to matter to people who are in the space of digital marketing, even like online entrepreneurship. Um, but we're really focused on people who are, who are creating things online, right? Whether you're a creator, um, you know, maybe you want to start a YouTube channel or, or a podcast, or uh, you're creating products uh, such as like, um, you know, maybe a SaaS company or software company, something like that. Um, so you're a creator and you're creating things online. And so that's what we want to cover. And um, Web Friendly, prior, if anyone's kind of followed me over the years, Web Friendly was my main brand and everything I did was a product of Web Friendly. So if you're familiar with Social Media Director, which Andrew was a part of that program, uh, that was a product of Web Friendly. Uh, Internet Masterminds, which was the meetup group that we ran for a long time, for over 10 years, uh, that was also a product of Web Friendly. So over the last year or so, I have been taking all the products and, and putting them into their own assets, into their own sites. So Internet Masterminds now lives on internetmasterminds.org, Social Media Directors now on socialmediadirector.com, and um, all my agency work is on mattastafan.com, right? So then Web Friendly was just kind of sitting there, and it was just, it's just like a, a blog. I had some people who were kind of taking some of the trainings that I did and transcribed that into blog posts and so on. And there was about 40 blog posts that were kind of sitting there. And I want to turn it into more of doing, you know, news media, that sort of thing. So the site was kind of sitting there. It was on WordPress. And I, I hate WordPress. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm not that technical. And I don't like, I like the flexibility of WordPress. I like that. It is the standard 
CMS if you're going to be building a website, right? Like it's very flexible. You could do a lot with it, but I don't like how technical it is. I don't like that. Um, sometimes I'd have like formatting issues that were related to some plugin that was for something else. And it was just like, just, just navigating the WordPress world as a non WordPress person, uh, was not fun for me. So, and, and I, and I do use a lot of technology. So I'm just, you know, I don't know how to, how to say it. Like I'm technical, but I'm not like WordPress technical. Let's just say that. So I've always, yeah, I'm not, I gotta, ju- I gotta jump yeah. in there. I gotta jump in there, Matt, just because you saying you're not technical makes me chuckle. Cause I mean, I, you have no idea how funny I find that because I like back in 2016 or whenever it was when I was a Coast Guard rescue diver taking your program, I didn't even have a PayPal account at that time. Right. And I, I, when I just see where I've come in, in the brief, relatively brief period of time, you, I remember you running the, your programs and getting very technical, but uh, it, I, I agree with you though. I'm not a developer. I'm not a coder. So when it comes to actually making those kinds of changes in a WordPress site, I didn't even, you went down that rabbit hole. I never did, but I hear you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Like, when, I think some people might hear this and say, like, WordPress is not that technical or something, but like, I don't know coding and I don't know like plugins. What I hate is like when you have to update your plugins, you have to like back up your site first because if you update your plugin, it could just break the whole website. Like, what is that? Like, why, you know, why are we still <laughs> living in that world? There's a lot of it. So, you know, I was paying someone like a monthly fee of like, I think like 60 bucks a month. She takes care of my hosting and updates my plugins and all, all this kind of stuff. But there were just so many things that I wanted to do with the site that I just couldn't do myself. I had to find a developer. I have to make sure I'm not going to break the site. So I was exploring what other options that I have to be able to, if I, if I really want to build a media company, I want to have a lot of content. I want to have a lot of other people contributing content. I'm looking at what can I, you know, what other options are there? And I came across Ghost ghost.org. And it was very interesting. You go to their website, you can take a look at it here. I'm on the, I'm on the screen right now. And it's actually, I actually find that their website is really well designed. I don't know. I, when I first saw the site, I perceived them as a very big company. I did a little bit of research on the company and the founder and so on. Anytime I'm going to invest into any uh, any product that's going to be a big part of my business. I always actually look at who's the founder and, and, and how does that founder think about their business and the future of their business. That's, that's how I always get into these. So what's interesting about this is that the founder, he's like a digital nomad. He's, uh, I think he's like a surf dude. He's got a YouTube channel. Yeah. And, uh, and he set up this business as a nonprofit, which is also very interesting. And in the last that I could see in terms of them sharing their numbers is that they're about a $2 million uh, per year business. Which I was surprised. To me, it looked like, wow. you know, I would say a twenty to a hundred million dollar business, which just goes to show that you know, that's just branding or perception or whatever it was. To me, it just looked a lot bigger. So I, I didn't figure out that there was such. To me, I, I, I feel like two million dollars for what they're doing is is a smaller ish business, even though it's still a lot. Um, but I thought it was very interesting. So they have a lot of room to grow. And again, I just, I did a lot of research on kind of like where they're at now in their business and like where, you know, what the possibility is. And so ghost is interesting because ghost, you could, you could build your own. They're very big on, on helping people build a publishing business, similar to something like a Substack. A lot of people are creating newsletters, like paid newsletters. A lot of journalists are like leaving big media companies to start their own newsletter that people will then pay like a monthly fee to get access to through a newsletter. So Ghost is similar. You can actually turn your blog post into uh, a newsletter very easily, but they're very, they're a lot more focused on um, publishing on the web. And um, it's, it is very limiting. So it's limiting. There's not so many plugins and features and so on. Um, I ended up buying a template from a company who then customized it for me. And uh, they told me that even when you make a template, you can only customize up to like five things, you know? So they're, they're purposely making it limited so that way it doesn't get too complicated. And it is just very easy to use. Um, I had an intern just start working with me recently. I gave him maybe like five or 10 minutes of instructions and then said, go. And he was importing all of our content from WordPress, just manually importing it into Ghost. And, uh, and he figured it all out pretty easily. So I do like that, like all the... Basic things that you need are all there. It doesn't do everything. I wouldn't recommend this for all kinds of websites, but if you are a publisher uh, or if you identify as like a blogger or, you know, something like that, 
Ghost is pretty good. I think you should check out Ghost. I'm still waiting to find out as we try to scale and we create more content, you know, where we're going to find limitations and, uh, and whatnot. I'll also mention that it does require knowing some coding, I suppose, because some of the small things that we got to change, sometimes we're using, it connects with GitHub and you have to like get into the code a little bit. I don't know how to code, but the guy who was customizing the the template and the theme for me, he was kind of explaining a few things to me and it was kind of like, I was kind of getting it, uh, you know, but uh, I am excited to kind of learn a little bit more coding. I'm talking about like HTML, JavaScript, CSS, stuff like that, right? So I'm, uh, I'm interested to know more about it, but I'm not. And so, you know, going from, you know, WordPress is too technical for me to, you know, I'm getting into GitHub and, and coding. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's just easier to manage. And because I kind of get the idea of, you know, the coding and the GitHub thing, and now I know if I need someone to do something, like it's pretty straightforward. Anybody who knows coding would be able to then adjust it for me. But once it's all kind of set up, I don't need to keep going in there and, and, and doing the coding and so on, right? But it's just kind of set it and then, um, and then you, you know, you're pretty much good to go and it's going to be very easy to, to get started. Well, and, and no marketer or creator should ever let that technical aspect slow them down, right? I, I think uh, you you flagged another website for me here recently. That there's a huge push. There's a huge push for no code options because right. people need people are naturally creative creatures. Human beings are creative creatures, but there's really a small percentage of people that are really technically focused, technically minded in that way. Like you and I both, man. Like we're there's going to be more and more no code options created by the coders, by the technical people, and then uh, and they just watch. Like watch content creation to get blown up to a brand new level that we haven't even seen yet, right? That's that's how I feel about it. Anyways. Yeah, this idea of like no code apps is becoming more and more popular, right? Like I just discovered like Bubble. I think we were talking about Bubble, and there was a few other ones that you could use to like you know create like applications for the web or and so on, right? And and it's all at a very early stage right now, right? Like even like Bubble is like not completely mobile optimized, or it would just take a lot to mobile optimize it, right? Um, but it is interesting to see. That the CMS space, right? So when I say CMS, it means content management system, right? Which was has been dominated by WordPress. I think I think eighty or ninety percent of websites are, on the web are, are built on WordPress, right? Um, there's other ones. I think what is that? Magento. Um, there was um, uh, Drupal. Uh, there was a, there were a few other ones. I all kind of got started at the same time as WordPress, and WordPress really took off, right? Because it was open source. People can like add on to it and, and, you know, create plugins and themes and so on. So it has a really large ecosystem, but it's just interesting to see something like ghost starting to pick up steam. And, um, and the fact that there's even space for a new CMS, I think that to me, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Very cool, man. Very cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, so we're, we're going to be talking a lot about, uh, creators and kind of following some of the things that creators are doing, uh, who's a creator that you admire that somebody that you've been following that you think is doing things differently or doing things in a cool way? So, uh, so I'm the founder and CEO of YT era. We, we are a full service YouTube marketing agency and I've been a YouTube professional since, uh, going back as far as late 2018. So YouTube is my, my go-to. Um, I love it. I, I wouldn't be where I am, uh, today if it wasn't for YouTube. So uh, when it comes to content uh, creation and content consumption, YouTube is my go-to. And I've been absolutely obsessed with Alex Hormozzi for probably about a year or so. Uh, I know he's got a fantastic book on, on Amazon for like 99 cents. And uh, he, he does, yeah, Matt, Matt's brought it up there for you. He does fantastic work. He, uh, like, look at what he says, big, bold letters. I have nothing to sell you. And he literally says that in every single one of his videos. And I, I think that's a very unique approach. You know, we talk a lot about um, better is great, but being different is better. And I, that's not my quote. That's some somebody far smarter than me that I can't remember right now <laughs> that said that quote. And, and this is an, a perfect example for all you marketers and creators out there of someone that's found a way to show up in the marketplace in a unique way. I have nothing to sell you. That, that's like his tagline. He is the founder and CEO of acquisition.com. Uh, they do about 85 to like $100 million a year across all of the companies and in, in the different verticals that they're, 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 they actively participate in. He's not even that 
vocal on the companies that he uh, has partial ownership in because he doesn't want his, he knows he has a strong brand. He knows he has a lot of visibility and he doesn't want the, the, uh, com- those companies, founders and CEOs to be negatively af- affected by his brand because otherwise some people might say, Oh, you're just successful because of Alex. You're just successful because, you know, he, you've got such a, a, a strong thought leader on, on, you know, who is invested in your, on your project, right? So he's not even very, he's vocal about the projects, the, the companies that he owns 100% in, that he has a 100% uh, stake in, but not any of those partnership deals. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he's at 215,000 subscribers now. And I want to say I started watching him probably about 25,000 subscribers. And, uh, that wasn't that long ago. That was probably, Geez, off the top of my head, maybe nine, 12 months ago. And so the channel's blown up and uh, he has a fantastic book that I haven't, I haven't even gotten yet, but it's on my to-do list. And uh, yeah, I, I find him to be a, an amazing content creator. Yeah. Matt, what about you? You got, you got a favorite you got going on yeah, right I now? I just think it's really funny because just this morning I was listening to a podcast with, with Alex. And uh, as I was listening to it, I remember oh, really? when, right um, he was uh, just coming up and he was in, I think it was at uh, Funnel Hacking Live. And I think he was on stage kind of sharing a bit about his story at that time. And I think he had just kind of got started. This is maybe the first Funnel Hacking Live or the second, I forget. And uh, so it just surprised me to see here that um, I'm just looking at his thumbnails. And uh, two months ago here, he has broke to $100 million, you know? So that is crazy That because I know, I think his whole thing was helping gym owners optimize their gyms. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's very interesting. Uh, listening to the interview, I don't know where I was listening to it. It was just, it came up on my on my Spotify, or whatever. But uh, he did seem very uh, authentic in what he was talking about. So I'm curious to hop into his content. I just sorted his videos here by most popular on YouTube, and his top one says "Reverse Psychology Hack to Close More Deals," and it's got like three million views. So I'll I'll take a look at that later. Um, so that's cool. Um, so my my favorite creators are not really in the business of marketing space. And when I've brought up in the past that I actually watched these guys, um, I've had people laugh at me about this. So <laughs> my favorite creators right now, I'd have to say, are the Nelk Boys. And they are pure entertainment, okay? But as a marketing <laughs> professional, when I watch them, I don't even know if they realize how good they are at marketing. Um, I think they're just kind of doing their thing. But uh, they've definitely, over the years, I think they've acquired some people on their team that have really helped them out. And um, I'm going to pull this up over here on the screen. So I have been watching the Nelk Boys since they had maybe like 3,000 subscribers. I remember when my oh, son wow. was first born, I used to like feed him milk and I'd be watching uh, Nelk Boys <laughs> doing pranks in Ontario because I'm Canadian and uh, they were Canadian. And I loved watching prank videos on YouTube. And I remember, um, you know, people would be like, why are you watching this? Like you're an adult, like, cause they were just doing the most immature pranks. And I just like, <laughs> to me, I just wanted something that was like not business, you know, like I'm just kind of relaxing. I want something funny, whatever. And their pranks were just completely stupid, but I could always imagine like if we had YouTube when, when we were young, like I could totally see me and my friends doing stuff like this. And I think that's what it was, but you know, they got so big now. I don't even know how many subscribers are at right now. Uh, they're huge. And they're originally, they were Canadian guys. Now they've been living in, in, in America for quite a while now. But just last week, they got Donald Trump on their podcast, which I think is huge. So they started this podcast uh, just a few months ago. I remember when they started the podcast, they were like, we're going to be the number one podcast. And to me, I was kind of like, that was like an ambitious goal. I didn't really think they're going to become like, the number one, you know, podcast in like all categories, but uh, they really did it in, in just a few months by getting some really high level. I think one of the first people that they got on the show was uh, Donald Trump Jr. Um, but now oh, getting wow. Donald Trump on and the podcast was funny because it was not like, you know, Donald Trump usually is getting interviewed and talking about some serious issues or whatever, but they were just like, you know, asking him like what his favorite song was when he DJs and whatever. And like, and, uh, and I think one of the other guys, uh, Steve, he was just in the corner laughing the whole time. It looked like he was on mushrooms. He was just like, just laughing. And you see this moment where Donald Trump looks over at him and he's like, this guy's probably on drugs. I'm, I'm going to ignore him. You know, like you got to see him like, you know, but then like during the podcast, Donald Trump says that this is going to get taken down off of YouTube. And they're like, nah, like you haven't said anything kind of, you know, anything crazy. He's like, no. He's like, this will get this will get censored, and and uh, they they later on mentioned that they got five million views in under twenty four hours, and then YouTube took it down. Wow. 
which is crazy. Wow. And so now it's like on their website, you know, you can get it on Spotify still. It's still everywhere else, right? So it's not like it's like off the internet. All the clips are still on their, their YouTube, their Full Send Podcast YouTube channel. Um, but it was weird that that even got censored. Um, I guess Donald Trump is just getting censored no matter what he says. I don't, I don't know what the deal is there. But um, just watching these guys and what they've been doing, um, I would like to kind of cover and diagnose a bit more about their marketing. I think they're doing a lot of things really well. Um, and uh, it's just very interesting. Just kind of. I got a question. Like, I got a question for yeah. you. I got a question for you. Sorry to jump in there, but um, I, I got to ask if they, like I haven't listened to their podcast mm-hmm. and, but you've definitely piqued my interest now. Like how, have they ever broken down their process to get these high value, high level, huge thought leaders as get, because the number one pain point for every podcaster out there is getting those huge, huge guests, right? Because that it can be the the difference that can make or break your podcast. So have they ever broken that down? Kind of, yeah. So what they did is, uh, so the guy in the picture here on the very left, his name is Bob Menry. Uh, So he was, when they started the podcast, he was the new recruit into kind of like the the full send guys, right? Um, And then, uh, and I don't know his whole story, but I think he's like a sports broadcaster or something. I checked out his Instagram. He does, he's got a good radio voice, let's just say, right? So they are sometimes kind of <laughs> something that we're working on. Yeah. So they sometimes tease each other about like who gets the best guests on, right? So, and so he, so Bob says that he just like DMs, sending DMs on Instagram, I suppose, all these like big people. But because I guess he's a little bit popular and so on, so he might actually get a response or he'll DM one person and say, can you help me get this person on? You know, they've been talking about like their big goal right now is to get like Kanye West on or get Drake on, stuff like that. I think they're going to do it. I, I, I won't be surprised they're going to get Kanye West. Right. But so, I mean, now that they got Trump, like Trump is like, you know, pretty big. I don't know. You know, you get Trump, you get like Elon Musk, you know, those are like the, the really big names that you can get on your show. So, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I I always thought that was kind of funny how they kind of like, uh, tease each other about who gets the best guests or whatever. And then they talking about just kind of sliding into the DMS and and doing it that way. So, uh, which I think is really the best way. It's just, you know, you got to ask, you know, uh, I mean, you know, yeah, you just gotta, you know, before when I was uh, putting together a podcast, even now I want to, I want to launch the internet mastermind podcast and even doing that, you know, I was like early on talking to some big names in the internet marketing industry and saying, hey, I want to do this podcast, can I get you on? And, and I was getting a lot of yeses. I never actually did the podcast yet, but uh, I was getting people like, yeah, sure. You know, a lot of people when you're, when you're starting out and you're doing something and they kind of see that, you know, you're ambitious of, of you know, whatever it is you want to do, people usually want to support you. So that's what I find. There's an old saying or a video, whatever with, with a Steve Jobs talking about how he was he wanted to get a job at uh, at Intel and at the time the founder of Intel his his name was just like in the phone book so he just looked him up in the phone book and called him and said can I get a job and then he just gave him a job you know doing whatever at, at, at Intel you know so you just got to kind of reach out and ask I think it's a secret you, you know, you know what, Matt? Though I don't want you to sell yourself short, though, because back back in those internet mastermind days when I was still in Vancouver, I attended a bunch of your events, and you you definitely developed the reputation. And Vancouver has a, a, a massive marketing community, and and uh, part of me definitely misses being in Vancouver because of being having that kind of connection and and showing up at those events because you got to you got to notice the same faces at all these events. And you always did a wonderful job of bringing out some pretty big names to give these presentations. And I don't want you to sell yourself short there because I think uh, in no short part was was that uh, due to your your energy, your positiveness, your warm energy, you know what I mean? Like it really does, uh, it does come down to the the founder, CEO, or the the host of, of the podcast to really be the, the constant, um, the the constant variable throughout all the different episodes. And we just all got you back in those days. We all just got used to Matt, like coming up on stage and, and doing your, your intro and then bringing on the big name and like, let's do some take. What are the takeaways here? What can we learn from this? How can we apply this stuff? And, and it was, you were that the, 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 the constant factor throughout all of that, those, those events. And, um, and I, I'd like to think that a lot of these guests were, more than happy to to um, uh, grow their reach and their their authority uh, their authoritativeness uh, by speaking on your stage, but they're also going to be much more likely to agree when you approach them with the right attitude and the right warm energy, which you always did. You always did, man. You always knew how to d- deliver to people. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's actually, once you get the ball rolling on something like that, like with Internet Masterminds, people always wondered, like, how do you do an event every Monday night and get all these great speakers? And it was like, 
And I just, I didn't even know. I was just kind of like, it just happens. Like I, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a work to do because people would approach me and, and ask, but like, you know, it would just, in a way I can kind of like choose who I wanted to bring on because we had the biggest stage. We were getting the, the audience every single week, you know? So, you know, it, once you, once you get to that, that size and like you can, you can get kind of, you know, whoever you want, as long as, you know, in that case it was local, you know? Um, so a lot of people would, would want to get on there. And also the opportunity of like speaking on stages, you know, when you're doing local events is you're getting, you know, video of you on stage and photos. So a lot of the people we're getting, you know, they were from like either big companies or they had a lot to share, but they didn't have their own platform to be able to speak on. So that's why they would look for, for those things. So I think that's what happens is once you kind of get the ball rolling, things just kind of fall into place and it's not so much work, mm-hmm. right? It's more just kind of like, you know, reaching out to someone like, Hey, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's chat, let's get on the podcast or whatever. And it's not like a big ask, you know, if we try to get like Donald Trump on yeah. the podcast right now, 0% chance it's going to happen. Right. But in a few years from now, if, if this was a political show, I don't know, you know, I'm sure he would love to come on the show. Right. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, before you even get, get us ready on the next topic there, I wasn't planning on bringing this up, but I found, I, it's funny that you said that, you know, you, you were consuming the Nelk boys and you know that it's all about entertainment and not, not specifically for education or informational reasons or, but you just intrinsically knew that, wow, these guys are just natural marketers. I've said this for years that one of the best marketers that I've ever come across is a famous Hollywood actor, a fellow Canadian, a fellow Canuck, a fellow Vancouver boy, Ryan Reynolds. I think Ryan Reynolds is one of the most successful marketers on the planet. He fought, like Deadpool is the perfect example. He fought to get Deadpool made for about 10 years, correct me if I'm wrong, 10 years. And then, and then he, he didn't hold back at all. The movie was obviously made rated R and the, the uh, marketing campaign when the first Deadpool movie was launched was to this day is still regarded as one of the most successful marketing campaigns for any movie anywhere because it, first of all it's a rated r movie and production companies hate making rated r movies because they know they're only going to be able to apply to a certain p- small percentage of the population but this movie made a bajillion dollars and didn't cost that much to make and in in, in the grand scheme of things it was it, I, I tend to believe it was because of uh, ryan reynolds just intrinsic um, does, uh, interest in marketing strategies and campaigns that are just much more likely to go viral. And now whenever he posts any movie project or anything on his Instagram or any of his social medias or YouTube channel, it just goes berserk because nobody consumes it as an ad even, and they want to share it because it's hilarious. It's, it's, it makes people laugh. And I mean, come on in a, in a, here we are in early 2022 and there's all kinds of things that stress people out these days and people need to laugh. And I think Ryan Reynolds is one by far one of the best marketers on the planet. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of that, I just, I want to share this funny story. Uh, just over the weekend, my son wanted to watch the, uh, the Pikachu movie, the what was, Pikachu detective, whatever it was. And so he was on YouTube and he searched Pikachu movie full. And then I was surprised that there, it, it looked like it was there here. I mean, on YouTube, you could see, and uh, this video is a, it's an hour and 42 minutes. It looked like someone had actually put it on, uh, on YouTube. And I've seen this in the past with some of the kids movies, um, like the, the Paw Patrol movie, like the new one that was in theaters. It's like on YouTube. It's been on YouTube for a long time. And I, I suppose that Nickelodeon just wa- wants kids to watch it because it to sell more toys. That's that's what I assume. I don't know why it hasn't been taken down yet. It's been there for over a year, I guess, or a year. So what was so funny about this is I'm going to just play the beginning of this because I think it's so funny. So you see at the top of the video, it says R what? Reynolds. And I was like, that's weird, right? And I was like, I wonder if that watermark yeah. is going to be in the whole video. So then what's so funny oh, about wow. this video, I was like, we can't play too much of it. But uh, it starts the movie off. So I'll just play like a little bit. It starts the movie, so it looks like it's playing the actual movie, and then all of a sudden you see Pikachu start dancing like this, right? And uh, we're sitting there. You can, you can play play it on mute. Play it on mute because right, I, right. I'm sure. And this we're following fair use. We should do a whole episode on fair use, but yeah, yeah. Uh, we're following fair use. We're not going to get slammed for this. So yeah, so Marcus watches it. I, you know, I turn the lights off. He's like, I'm going to watch the movie, whatever. So like, and then he's just like doing this, and, and Pikachu's dancing. And then Marcus goes to me. He's like, Is Pikachu going to dance the whole movie? And then I was like, Wait a minute. And I go and look, and the whole movie is Pikachu just dancing. And I realized that I. <laughs> 
think that Ryan Reynolds did this on purpose. I think that he's trolling people who are trying to pirate the Pikachu movie. And I was like, because the fact that it says R. Reynolds right at the beginning in the watermark, I think it's him. I think that he did it. Uh, so oh my that's God, just my that's theory. Because you can see the whole channel just says it just Inspector Pikachu. Yeah. There's nothing on it but the one thing, right? What does it say? Oh, that's about? hilarious. You know? And oh you my can God, see how many views 30, 37 million views. Yeah. So he just trolled <laughs> everyone who's trying, trying to uh, pirate. So I'm pretty sure. I'm going to say, I'm going to give this one to Ryan Reynolds. I'm pretty sure it was him. Oh, oh, he's brilliant. I, I, I follow him because I'm a marketer and I just know I'm going to get ideas when I, when I follow, follow Ryan. Yeah. Okay. So let, yeah, let's jump into the next one here. Uh, I know we're almost running out of time here and we might have to save some of our content for next time. But yeah, I wanted to talk about this here. 66% of brands spent more on creator marketing in 2021. I find this fascinating. Uh, it's, it's not a super long read. Uh, they, they obviously talk about TikTok and, and the various different platforms. They talk about user generated content. Uh, UGC, or I think they call it something else. UCC, U, yeah, user created created content. I think um, I think this is just a sign of things to come. And I mean, this is just my gut speaking here. Nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody can just you know figure out and tell you exactly what's going to happen next year and the year after that. But I think um, I think people are. We, we live in a time where people are tired of being oversold to by over-polished content. It's no secret. I've, I've attended all the events. I remember sitting second row right in front of Dean Graziosi at one of the uh, Traffic and Conversion Summit, uh, Summit events and, uh, and him t- talking to the whole crowd with the only kind of level of passion that, uh, that Dean Graziosi has, saying that um, he'll, he'll spend the 10, 20, 30 grand on a high-end uh, production crew to come to his house and film ads and then he'll he'll spend like 10 minutes talking to his cell phone and those ads that he makes of him talking to his cell phone will outperform the ads that he made with the huge high-end uh, uh, crew that he hired um, i think it's no secret that brands are realizing that user-generated content is the way to go and and i mean i know the in the influencer space has taken a lot of heat in re- in recent years too because some people um sh- certainly abuse the the level of, of uh, influence that they have and other people. And, and then there are also thought leaders, unfortunately, that unfortunately do, how do I say this? They, they artificially inflate their, their data just to, so that they can charge higher fees to the brand. But ultimately, if you build your audience the right way, the authentic way, and you have real followers, not a bunch of fake followers that you're buying off of Fiverr or what have you, but user generated content is a, a one way that your brand can appear a lot I mean, come on, at the end of the day, people do business with you if they know, like, and trust you. One of the best ways for people to know, like, and trust you is have a bunch of user-generated content out there of, of your, your paying clients, your paying customers, or find a thought leader that has the audience uh, that is closely related to the audience you're trying to target. I'm, I, I, I think this is just a sign of things to come, and things are just going to get easier and easier. It's interesting. I'm just looking over this. Whenever I get, <clears throat> whenever I see reports like this, um, I always wonder, like, about, where they got the data from and how much data. Obviously, I think that, you know, I, I would not doubt that this this is true, not true, right? That there's people who are definitely spending more. You you just, you know, it, it would just make sense. Um, oh, yeah. What do they what do they say there? Like they, they, so it's, uh, they it's pulled like 200, from, 200 companies. Creator IQ, right? So, that, yeah. so I just Googled the Creator IQ and uh, this is where you get the report. So this is where you would put in your email address and uh, and then you can probably get the report from them. But who knows like how many people they surveyed, who they surveyed, right? And this is a platform. Oh dude, I think they for I think they say it. They they say it. They like I think they surveyed like 200. You know what I mean? It, so it wasn't a huge where is it? Where is it? I think they said it in the Oh, the report is based on a survey of 150 brands and 200 influencers. So, I mean, eh. not a oh, huge yeah, yeah. data set. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not a huge. And I and I did know that when I flagged this, but I thought, you know, this is still large enough for me to to note it. Right. Yeah. I don't like again. I don't doubt that people are spending more, but it's just whenever I see these, because uh, you know, I do a lot of copywriting, so I'm always trying to find you know third party verified data to be able to mm-hmm. use and, and that sort of thing. But I was just trying to find like what is the most you know real and relevant. So again, not saying that this is going to be a fake report or anything like that. Uh, it just that uh, uh, you know who knows how how accurate it really is. Oh no, dude, but, you're uh, you're so right. Best practices, best practices. You know, it depends on. 
if you're getting your stock investment advice from your your barber, then uh, yeah, consider the source. Yeah, I totally understand, man. Yeah, yeah that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doubting. I'm not doubting the uh, the the actual stat. It's just that uh, you know. All right, next uh, next story here. You brought this one as well. So this is around ad fraud. So why combating ad fraud might be your best marketing investment in 2022. So you brought the story in. What is ad fraud? I don't even know what that is. So ad fraud is, this is, I find it to be a really interesting subject. I, I, I'm bringing this, this subject up simply because I don't think enough marketers are talking about it. I really don't think uh, it's, it's discussed enough. I mean, this Forbes article is, isn't the super recent. When did it come out? Uh, this is February like a month 4th. ago. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, February. Okay, yeah. so it's it's recent, but not super recent. And and the thing that I've noticed about ad fraud is that it's just not discussed enough because it everyone knows what the ROAS is, or you but should know what your ROAS what is, is. What is ad fraud? Oh, okay. So sorry. So uh, ad fraud is when your ad is being viewed by a non-person, and unfortunately. Oh. The industry is, it's crazy, crazy high. I'm, I, I can't remember the number off the top of my head. It's like tens of millions of dollars is being wasted on ad fraud. And uh, where is it? Okay. So would like da, a da, 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 publishing the company like put fake views on their website to increase their their ad dollars? Yeah. Oh, sh- yeah. The, the article, the article, I'm trying to remember, uh, grow 15 to over reaching 705 billion, well over pre pandemic levels. Unfortunately, this advertising boom also triggered a surge in advertising fraud. As businesses kick off their 2022 marketing plans, there's one thing they shouldn't overlook a strategy for combating ad fraud to protect the return on ad spend. I feel like that would be the quickest win for any company out there that's spending $10,000 a month, a million dollars a month. Like if, if you found a way to solve for this problem, rather than increasing your ad spend, wouldn't that be the most logical solution? And I, I think I have a solution, but before I, uh, I share that with everybody, I just wanted to see if I can find the number here. There is a number that... Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, it's difficult to calculate exact losses caused by ad fraud, but the latest estimations put it at around $13.8 billion in 2020 in the US alone. $14 billion in one country. I feel like that's the quickest win. I feel like that's the quickest win for any company. Do you know, Andrew? I did not know that this was a thing that was happening. Oh, dude, it's huge. So it's huge, man. It's huge. Ad yeah. fraud detection software relies on detecting patterns that resemble suspicious actions in an ad's impressions, clicks, traffics, or IP addresses, or a mix of all those data sources. It compares mm-hmm. clicks on ads to its database, and if it detects an anomaly, it notifies users in real time so advertisers can analyze their data. So there's companies now that are doing this. This is interesting. So what if I'm running ads through the Google AdSense network or the um, Facebook, what do they call it? Facebook um, expanded audiences or I forget what they call it now. Well, the, the, sol- the solution that I just sent it to you in the chat, the solution that I, th- and I can't speak to this. Okay. So I want to be c- clear here. I'm not, this isn't an advertisement. Okay. I'm not promoting these people, but I just sent Matt a message in the chat that he's going to bring up for you. It's AdsDAX. And they, I've gone through their website and I've actually sent their team a message because I'm actually going to look into possibly creating an ad campaign through them for my own company. Mm. And I will be more than happy to report back on, on the Good Morning Marketers uh, show here with you, Matt, when I, when I figure out what, what my experience is. Um, plus not only in my industry, because I'm, uh, my, my company is, is, uh, a full service YouTube marketing agency. Um, if I find that this is the, the only logical way forward to reduce the risk of, um, ad fraud, then I'm, I'm going to be more than happy to promote these people and share them. But, uh, they, they seem to have solved this problem and it's, it's a very, very big problem. And I'm shocked. Like I've been in marketing for a long time and I've never, Really heard this this subject come to the forefront, and I think it's the the silliest thing in the world because when you think of like you've heard of the term click farm, right, Matt? You, you know these click farms where it could be anywhere. It could be in Romania or the Philippines or Russia or wherever, right. where people are paid just to click on ads. Right. So so the the uh, the entrepreneur, the business owner, is paying for those clicks. 
But those clicks meant nothing to them on the bottom line because those are not paying customers. Those are not the, those aren't even the ideal viewers or avatar or persona that they're trying to target. This is a huge, huge problem. So I'm going to, uh, I've already reached out to the ASDAQ team. I'm going to, uh, to see what uh, their process is like and uh, I'll report back when I know more. It looks like here they're, they're using some sort of a blockchain technology or, and, uh, and so on. Yeah, they're on Hashgraph. They, they build on Hashgraph. They, they say blockchain there, but they're they're on Hedera Hashgraph, so that uh, because they needed a platform that can handle the the transaction volume. Can you imagine how many people click on ads every single day? The transaction volume is sky high, sky high. Right. Wow, this yeah. is very interesting. I did not, I was not aware of um, about uh, how big of an issue this is, or that this no, was a huge issue, and that there's solutions for this. So I think this is very interesting. I think this is. Yeah, I'm going to be looking yeah. at this because I wonder, because this here is, I guess, you're going to use their platform to run your ads through their platform and they have these metrics. But I wonder if you're just using direct Facebook ads, Google ads, and so on, if there's a way to be able to detect and, and monitor uh, what's going on there. Um, yeah, I think that's very interesting. Yeah, let me do a little bit of experimentation with these guys and I'll, I'll report back. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think, I mean, we were marketers. We understand the value of attention in the market, excuse me, in the marketplace. And unfortunately, we do live in a world where it's very much pay to play. And a lot of people are able to drown out their competition because they just have a much, much higher ad budget than their competition does, right? So they're willing to pay whatever it takes to just to swamp the, the entire marketplace and just dominate. Well, what what percentage of those those clicks are you getting are real people though? That's the that's the real question, right? So, yeah. So Andrew, uh, I got a question for you. Just I'm curious to know uh, what your response with it. You know, you've, you've been in digital marketing now for how many years? You started like what in 2016. Ser uh, yeah, with your program in 2016, but seriously since 2018. Yeah. What do you think it takes to be a digital marketer? A full time, I would not call it digital market, but like to run an online business. What do you think it really takes to do this? Yeah, really great question. Um, what it takes is, what it takes is, so we had a saying in the Coast Guard, uh, and, and I'm, I always take things back to my own experiences, like everybody does, but we had a saying in the Coast Guard, like, figure it out. Because in the Coast Guard, we were constantly, constantly put in stressful environments and situations that in some, some situations we were, it was almost like, there's no way out here. There's no, there's no solution. Well, figure it out, figure it out. Take what you have, take what access to resources and tools you have. Tony Robbins says this all the time. It's not about the resources you have access to. It's how resource, what resourcefulness, what level of resourcefulness do you have? Yeah. Um, you know, you can make a way or find a way. And I think the best digital marketers, the best content creators out there, Find a way because uh, a lot of people will will just see all the all the odds and how the odds are stacked up against them, and they will they'll, they'll throw their arms up and give up before even hitting the record button or before typing up the blog or before taking any action whatsoever. They convince themselves, they tell themselves a story that that they're going to fail. So what it takes to be a really great marketer is just surrounding yourself with like-minded people. I mean, come on, it's cliche to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. You know, you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. You want to be a good digital marketer, hang out with some digital marketers. You want to lose some weight, hang out with some fitness freaks. You want to, you want to, you know, grow your wealth, hang out with some rich people. It's, it's, I know it's so cliche, but it, it doesn't make, make it any less true. And so yeah, being a great digital marketer, hang out with some digital marketers, consume content like this, YouTube channels, podcasts, uh, because you like in my situation, I help people blow up on YouTube. Well, it's really hard to blow up on YouTube if you don't actually consume YouTube content. So me and my team are constantly consuming YouTube content to stay on that leading edge. So because success leaves clues, right? But ultimately, it's something that I should quickly touch on is the fact that um, there's maybe this sounds a little harsh, but it's it's I also believe it to be true. There's no original content out there. There's nothing that's original. Everything has been repurposed or repackaged. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I mean, geez, even like, even though I'm a Tony Robbins fan, I don't, I don't, I know Tony has taken all of his knowledge from other sources. Uh, his, his mentor was Jim Rohn and oh, I can't remember who is Jim Rohn's mentor now. And he, so Tony has researched all these successful people, all of these different religions, all of these different uh, business professionals and financial, financially wealthy people. And then he puts it, he packages it up in a way that only he can. He, inter uh, he interviewed when he made Money Master the Game, that book, that super successful right. financial book. He interviewed what, like 50 billionaires or something crazy like that. And then he wrote the book. So, 
I, I think the the same approach, the same mentality certainly is applicable uh, in digital marketing. I don't know. Uh, what do you agree with? What do you disagree? Throw it back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree with absolutely everything you said. It was funny. I just remembered that I was, I got, I got introduced to this like a uh, mastermind group through some other entrepreneurs. And, uh, and then when I was in the group, I remember I brought up this, this idea that you are the equal sum of the people that you spend the most time with. And then like everybody in the group disagreed with me. And we started having oh, really? this debate. Yeah. And then I was like, I was like, what? I was like, I was baffled. I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, this is like a fact of life. Like, this is not nothing, not the debate. I was like, what do you mean? You know, but I ended up leaving the group because I was like, I was like, this is like, uh, <laughs> you know, like we can't argue about this. This is like a fact, you know? So yeah, I absolutely uh, agree with that. Um, but I also find that uh, a lot of people give up too soon, right? It does take a lot of sacrifice. You know, a lot of people might have a, a job, right? Maybe a nine to five or whatever it might be, right? And you want to kind of create your own online business or become a marketer or a creator, or whatever it might be. And it takes a long time. Like, I, I honestly think that uh, you got to go all in, like, you know, crank it up to 11 for like a year, right? Or you kind of go in and maybe you're at like an eight, but you got to do it for like two years, you know, like it just doesn't happen so fast. People see stories of people that are, you know, going from, you know, called zero to hundred, you know, in a few months, they think that that's, they're going to make some content. It's going to go viral. Like, you know, we were kind of joking earlier about the show where it's like, we're kind of not a hundred percent prepared for everything we need to do. And it's kind of good because probably not a lot of people are going to watch this, you know? So like, I don't expect it to go viral, you know? So and that, I'm kind of thankful for that. You know, we're just kind of you know, practicing, we're finding our voice, you know, but it takes a long time. Right. So I think it's just like, you have to be really passionate and like love doing it regardless of the money. And like for me doing the show with you, like, I think I could do this for a long time and just enjoy doing it. And it doesn't matter, like, obviously we want to make money eventually from this, but like anyone watching this right now, like we, we ain't making no money right now. You know, we're just, <laughs> we're just, you know, you know, we're just having fun with this. We're going to, you know, and I, and I really believe that we have to be doing this for many months by the time we really find a stride and like find our voice and kind of, you know, and, and, and know how we're going to represent ourselves online and create, you know, whatever, call it a character or whatever it is that other people will also appeal to and enjoy. And uh, I, I'm just excited about being able to meet with you and just talk about these stories. I think about this stuff all the time and I have nobody to share it with and talk about it. And once in a while, I'll bring up a story like this is someone, you know, like I talked about earlier, like the Nelk boys or whatever. I've told other marketers about this who had never heard about them. And I start telling them what they're doing and they're like, what? And they're like, and then we go down this rabbit hole, right? And it's like, like, that's my jam. That's what I love talking about, right? Yeah. So I think that that's what it really takes is like, you know, yes, you got to like, I think a lot of what you were talking about is like all the, the, the tactical things which is like you have to do. You have to surround yourself with 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 uh, other people. You have to find models for success, right? And a lot of people who are getting started, they don't realize that. They don't, you know. To, to us, it's so obvious because we're we've been in this for for a long time. But beyond that, like even to just get started, like you have to be willing to be doing this for a year, if not really for two years. And I used to say this too with you know in social media director. I used to tell people when they start their career in social media, I'm like, you're not gonna, you're probably gonna be broke for like two years. You know, it's gonna take you a while by the time like you're making like a good amount of money and you're not like hustling every day to try to get sales. You know, it's kind of coming to you. It takes like two years, you know? So anyone who wants to become a creator or whatever they want to do or you know, become a digital marketer, I think you have to be really committed and you have to like want to do it enough that you're gonna be yeah, watching YouTube videos, reading blog posts, and just consuming the content and just taking the action just doing and building the community around you and so on. And you gotta be doing that for for two years. Uh, by the time you get, uh, you know, the time you really feel like you've had some success, right? I got two more things that I want to add to that, just to build off of what you said there too, and then and then we can wrap it up. But um, but uh, I love I love what you just said there, and honestly, because I've been doing this for so long now, I can really actually boil it down to two things. Because and it just kind of dawned on me while while you were talking there. One, you got to be able to create results. You have to be able to create results. We right. used to live in an industrial age. Then we switched to the uh, informational age. And now we're actually in the digital age. And there's a lot of marketers out there. There's a lot of content creators out there. There are not that many out there that know how to actually generate real results. So that's number one. You actually got to know how to get real world results because we no longer live in an economy that is based off of um, the, your, the input of your time. 
we live in a results and outcomes based economy because it really doesn't matter what you charge for your products and services. You could charge whatever the hell you want as long as you can get results. People will pay for results. They don't want to pay for you to come in and punch a clock for eight hours a day. They want to know that they're going to get the reach and the authoritativeness and the influence based off of your marketing experience, right? So that's number one, get results. Number two, people got to enjoy working with you. Matt, people love working with you, man. People love working with you. I've, I've gotten, I've been, I'm fortunate and grateful enough to have gotten lots of positive feedback over the years that like, you know what, Andrew, we really miss having you around here, man. I'm like, Oh yeah, uh, that's good to hear. You know, or the, you know, the community really misses your input or blah, blah, blah. Like just being enjoyable to work with. Yeah. Oh my God. That goes so far, especially now that we we're all doing everything virtually and being able to make connections with those, those in relationships. I'm telling you, you'll find yourself. You know, maybe you lost a client or maybe you got laid off or something. And as soon as that, that influential person finds out that you're available now, they're going to reach out to you and they're going to be like, Oh, Oh, I, I hear you got laid off or Oh, I hear, I hear you, you got some extra time on your calendar because you lost your client. I need, I need some help. And then, yeah. So anyways, I had to throw yeah. that in there. Matt, I'll let you close her up. Yeah, I know. I think that that's absolutely true. Uh, I love it. I remember when I started my agency work, I just kind of like posted on my social media, on my Facebook, I'm like, hey, I'm taking clients now. And then it was like, I got like, you know, and it was all because of those relationships and so on that I built over the over the years. So it was just, yeah, they're just coming from friends and so on, right? Awesome. So uh, that's that's a wrap on our first show. Um, very curious to see how this is going to turn out when it actually kind of starts going on YouTube and on the podcasts and, and all that. And, uh, and, I, and I also can't wait to look back at this in a year from now. Maybe a year from now, we'll do like a review of our first episode and what we could have done better. <laughs> so I like that. Yeah, I, I love like it, guys. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe. Obviously, if you're in the podcast, wherever you want to consume this, we are, we're planning to upload this natively to every platform.